Hey guys, Pastor Mike Reed here. Thankful that God led you to tune into this video sermon. Uh, our prayer is very simple. We pray that God would use the preaching of God's Word uh, to grow you more in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray it blesses you, nourishes you, and encourages you. Good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, before I get started, um, just wanted to... I. Don't normally do this, um, but I was before I was, I was preparing for my sermon this morning, and just kind of going over my notes in my uh, the Bible reading plan that my wife and I go through together. Um, it's a discipleship Bible journal reading plan. It's great; so you can find it online. Uh, but it's taken me through the Book of Job. Uh, one of the sections takes me through the Book of Job right now, and I found a verse this morning, and it was pretty overwhelming. If you regularly le- read through the Bible every year, which I highly uh, encourage you to do that, you're going to regularly find some things that you never had seen before, and it's going to really bless your soul. Job chapter 12, verse 10. Job 12, verse 10. In the Lord's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In his hand is the life of every living thing, everything alive right now is in the hand of the Lord and the breath of all mankind. So right now, we're breathing and his hand is sustaining it. And I could imagine, I was thinking, I was like, I have a feeling that some people are gonna like get anxious about this. Like he might like take his hand away like last minute or something. And we, we don't focus on that. Uh, just focus on the fact that his hand sustains you right now, that whatever you're going through, his hand is upholding you, supporting you, and it's very appropriate that we just be still at times and rest in that, and know that he is God. He's the one who is and is to come. We are like a breath. We just come and we go, and he sustains it all. So why don't you just take a moment, uh, whatever you're thinking about, wherever your mind is at, um, just quietly to yourself. Take a few seconds to just rest in the fact that his hand is sustaining your very life right now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are a, an almighty God. That we are utterly, we are utterly every breast. We are dependent upon you. Apart from you, we can literally do nothing. We can't even breathe. And uh, we just let our souls lean back into your good and gracious hand and rest there this morning. And if your hand supports our breath, you support my breath, the very breath I'm using to preach today. Would your hand Guide my very breath, my mouth, my words to bless these people this morning. Jesus, you say that your sheep hear your voice and they know you and they follow you. May you take my breath and you use it to be your words that your sheep may hear you and follow you and know that you are always leading them to a good place. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, if you are new with us, if you have never been to Church of Bergen before, I actually met a young man this morning. Uh, I won't say his name, so I don't want to make him feel uncomfortable. Uh, but a lot of new people coming in. So maybe you're not a Christian. I want to say thanks for being here. Glad that you're here. No other place would rather you be than here worshiping uh, Jesus with us. And the word worship is just a fancy religious term that means your heart just treasures Jesus more than anything else in the entire world. It holds on to him tightly. So everything we do here on Sundays assists that aim. The aim, we come in here, our hearts are kind of holding on to Jesus. We come here every morning so that our hands of faith would cling more tightly and gladly to Jesus. So we take the Lord's Supper every week. We preach from the Bible. We believe it is the word of God. We sing songs that are all about Jesus, and we give. And the silver box is in the back wall by the exits there. And everything that we do here on Sundays serves that aim. So that, that's your aim. That's what you're aiming for right now. Thank you. Pastor Peter, everyone. He's a faithful elder. I got sick on Monday, and I was just recovering this week. He got me some magic honey or something. I don't know. It was, uh, it was good stuff. Love you, Pete. Thank you. Um, where was I? <laughs> so we're here to worship Jesus, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, just one little quick thing. Um, if you could go to the, uh, the announcements there. If you uh, see uh, next Sunday, the Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes are due. Uh, just, just bring them in. You can drop them at the info desk anytime between now and next Sunday uh, to bless the little children with gifts. Uh, if you have any questions about this, you could talk to the info desk team there. They would be glad to help you. Uh, but let's get to the good stuff. We have been in a series um, called Elect Exiles in the Book of First Peter. And uh, the, the whole idea is, right, elect exiles, that our identity in Christ is elect, chosen by grace, not because we are better than other people. God's sovereign grace has chosen to save some sinners. And we rest there. Identity is there, right? He holds our very breath in his hands, but we are not at home yet. This, is, this world is not our true home. There's a true home coming when Jesus Christ returns and renews all things. But there are some people that don't think that the kingdom of Christ is home. They consider this their home. And so one of the burdens of, of us pastors here at this church for going through this book is that we would encourage you all to go to bend outwards on mission and to open your mouths about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You would have courage to do that. And uh, starting last week and for, from, for three weeks starting last week, we're going through basically a mini-series within First Peter called Submission is Mission. Every title of the sermon in this series is going to end with mission. This idea we're all on mission. And the whole idea of these, so Pastor Mike preached on how do we submit as elect exiles, as Christians living out our faith underneath governmental authorities. And this week, we're talking about how do you submit to immediate direct authorities in your life, especially when they are unjust, when they are not kind, when they're frankly, they're bullies. How do I glorify Jesus under people like that? And I just want to encourage you, um, the few people last service, um, it's, a, it's a tough word. It's, it's a tough thing to hear. The things that Peter is going to call us to is very hard. But with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is not only the power of God to save you, it's also the power of God to sustain you in some very, very difficult times. So, uh, without further ado, I just want to uh, state my sermon 
in three sentences. And after I say these three sentences, if you want to leave, you can. That's totally fine. But if you would like to hear me flesh it out a little bit more, please stay in your seats. Number one, we are called by God to endure unjust shame and suffering for Christ. Unjust is the key word. And God's calling you to this, to endure it. It's not fair. It's not right. I did nothing to deserve this shame, this suffering, and we do it for Christ's sake. Number two, the main roadblock to this calling is the fear of our egos being wounded. The thing that gets in the way from us running full steam ahead and obeying Jesus' call in our lives is our own ego. Last service, just had a good faithful brother here just saying, that's exactly what I needed to hear. My ego was getting in the way of me following what Jesus called me to do. Number three, the way to overcome this fear is not by shielding our egos, but by surrendering our egos to Jesus. So if you want to leave, you can now, but if you want to hear me flesh it out a little bit more, number one, we are called by God to endure unjust, unjust shame and suffering for Jesus Christ. Paul, excuse me, Peter begins in 1 Peter 2 verse 18, servants, that the literal translation is slaves, slaves be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So Peter is taking a very broad principle here and he's applying it to a very specific relationship, slaves and masters. Unfortunately, we don't have all the time to get into all the complexities and the the difficulties behind this issue of the Bible and slavery. So what I am gonna do, I'm gonna say just a few things and I'll put some resources, when you, if you click on the sermon, when it's posted tomorrow, you'll see some resources that you could dive in a little bit deeper for your own personal study. Let me just say a couple things. American slavery and Roman slavery were similar in some ways, but they were different in significant ways. Number one, American slavery was fueled by stealing human beings and selling them taking human lives, robbing them, taking them away, and stealing them. It was fueled by that unjust system. Secondly, American slavery was based upon race. It was restricted to a specific ethnicity, African Americans. And the reality is, in Roman times, any one of us could have been a slave. Uh, Many of the slaves were educated, well-paid, well-supplied for, well-cared for, um, and even could get their freedom. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul the Apostle says, if you are a a Christian and you are a slave and you can get your freedom, get it quick, get it now. Peter is in no way condoning or affirming or supporting or celebrating the institution of slavery. Rather, what he's doing is there are some Christians there are some slaves who have become Christians and they have a new master, Jesus Christ. And their question is, how do I live if my true master is Jesus under this earthly master? And Peter is, is essentially, he, he is encouraging them. He said, if you cannot gain your freedom, let me give you some, some encouragements here how to operate in this difficult thing you're going through. 
Notice the very last phrase. But also to the unjust. Here's the thing. The principle that Peter is applying to this specific relationship can be applied to everyone. We are all in relationships. We are all have a superior, someone who is above us, particularly, most applicably, to the relationship between employer and employee in your business, in your work. In fact, uh, the one who just, the brother just brought me this water, Peter, he actually calls his boss his earthly master. So this can be applied to all of us. There are authorities in our lives that frankly, they're not good. They're unjust. They're not treating us fairly. And what Peter is calling all of us to do, he's calling us to respect the disrespectful, honor the dishonorable, and to love the haters. And this is a very, very, very hard word to hear. He goes on to say in verse 19, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. First phrase in verse 21, for to this you have been called. Christian, this is your calling. This is what God's calling you to. The God of the universe is saying, I'm calling you to something. He's calling us, verse 19, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures, endures, Sorrows while suffering unjustly. End of verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. To this you have been called. When you said yes to Jesus, this is what you were saying yes to. And let me be really clear. This is not varsity level Christianity. This is normal Christianity. This is not graduate school level Christianity. This is like, hi, first day of kindergarten. I got my, my, my lunchbox. This is basic elementary level Christianity. You said yes. When you raised your hand, you said yes to Jesus. This is what you said yes to. You did not just say yes to Jesus as the forgiver of your sins, but also as the Lord of your life. And so if he forgives your sins, he can also call you to endure some very hard things. But be encouraged. Look at the very beginning and the end. This is a gracious thing. End of verse 20. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When you endure unjust shame and suffering, you've done nothing to deserve this. And by faith you endure, by the power of the gospel, you must know that God smiles on you. It is not, when you have to endure something that you don't deserve, you have not done anything to deserve this, and you endure it by faith, not in pride or self-pity, God smiles on you. It is not a sign of his disfavor. It's actually a sign of his blessing. It's not a sign that he has forsaken you. It's a sign that he is for you. It's not a sign that he has cursed you. It's a sign that he loves you. Now, he's making real clear, real clear what he's not talking about. 
For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Translation, so what if you screw up a bunch at your job, get fired, and you're like, they didn't make me cry. Or it's like the kid who disobeys their parents, gets a spanking, and what do they say? That didn't hurt. How many of you guys were, were that way when you were growing up? Anybody like that, right? Okay, Ebony, I see you. Um, when you, here's the thing. When you have shown a repeated lack of integrity in a particular area, and the authorities in your life bring you consequences that are frankly a bit humiliating, there is one response for the disciple of Jesus. Total submission without any pushback or bartering, period. Anything less than that is a sign of pride and self-protection. You are loving your own glory and reputation more than Jesus. That's a tough word, right? But because, because disciples of Jesus love to repent. When we sin, we want to bring it to the light fast. And we hate and we bring it to Jesus, know that his blood covers that and cleanses that. We take full responsibility, no excuses, no making up, well, it was this and that and this and that. And, and we accept all consequences humbly. The point is this. Whether what you have to endure is just or unjust, disciples of Jesus endure them. We do not retaliate. You will not hear anything today about how you can't talk to people who are delivering you unjust shame and suffering. You can talk to them, but you will not retaliate. There is no sinful communication happening, verbal or nonverbal, or even in your heart. If you have to talk to somebody who's giving you unjust shame and suffering, you will be honest, you will be kind, you will be gentle, you will be tender, you will be loving, and you will be gracious. There must be nothing in the way that you communicate that has anything to be accused against you. Okay. Is anybody uncomfortable right now? <laughs> I mean, I, I was preparing this sermon, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is tough. This is really hard. Because this is, God's calling all Christians to this, without exception. And here's the reality. This is why I say, because some of you are probably making excuses right now. You're going, well, you don't know this guy. You don't know this girl. If you knew who I have to work for, or you knew who I have to live with. Some of you are saying, if, if that's true, if this is what the Bible is teaching, then I don't know how that's possible. And believe me, it, it, I, have, I have a lot of empathy for you. I have not always been a pastor. I have been uh, a salesman before, I have been a waiter before, I have been a director in a position under an authority, and I have worked with and for people who are frankly bullies. And I know the urge, ooh, right? Like even that music, ooh, like you know what I'm talking about. Like that's, that's hard. But the God of the universe is calling us to this, and there's hesitation. We do a little stutter step. You guys know what a stutter step is? Instead of running, you kind of like, 
head will hesitate a little bit. There's something that's holding us back. This is why I say number two, the main roadblock to this calling is the fear of our egos being wounded. If I cannot, now let me be really clear, little side thing here. I realize there are, I'm not talking about extreme cases of like domestic abuse. Like, oh, you're telling me like a wife, she's getting beat, she just didn't do anything. I mean, obviously there are cases when you get help. But the, is, the issue is there's always a way about it that you go that demonstrates the power of the gospel of grace dominating your heart. There's a roadblock in the way and it's that our egos are gonna get wounded and that terrifies us. Frankly, we live in a society and a culture that is unbelievably shielded and guarded. Every single one of us has got an invisible shield on our backs, ready to pull out to protect and and guard away. And some of us have really quick wit. We know how to give it back. We got shields. We we, we hold back. We're not truly vulnerable, especially with who we really are in Christ. And we're all walking around the with invisible shields because we are petrified, terrified, and paralyzed at the thought of a criticism or a mockery or a shaming or a ridicule or a humiliation that goes directly to the center of who you are. It's like an attack on your identity, and we can't handle that. So... If this is what we're called to, that's a very difficult thing to have to endure. But I'm convinced, because this world is not impressed. This world expects you to defend yourself. This world expects you to be self-protective. This world expects you to protect your dignity, your sense of who you are. Stand up for yourself. Put your chest out. When you do that, the world not only celebrates it, but deep down, they're not really surprised by it. It's what you would expect. It's innate in us all. It's the natural bent of the human nature to defend ourselves. I am thoroughly convinced that the thing that will make the light of Christ shine brighter and the salt of the gospel taste saltier in this culture today are Christians who are resilient in the face of unjust shame and suffering. What will demonstrate the power and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a, Christ, not a Christian who knows how to win an argument in a street debate, but who knows how to take a punch to the ego, and every time they are humiliated and shamed and mocked, it's like adding fuel to the fire of their love and kindness, and they get right back up, and nothing can stop them. They're like... <laughs> Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai was getting beat by that wooden sword and he keeps like getting up, right? He's just swinging it around. He can't get pit down. Maybe I'm the only one who saw the movie, okay? Because <laughs> no one is laughing. I thought it was pretty funny. So, how do we do this? That's hard. Because you are, you are called when you are shields down, guards down. This is who I am. This is who I am in Christ. Arrows come, shame comes, mocking comes, injustice comes. You've done nothing to deserve it. And then the volcano of retaliation inside your heart is like, 
ready to explode with retaliation. And God is telling you, put it down. Take the blow, roll with the punches, and endure by faith. In fact, he says, this little phrase here, how do we do this? This little phrase right there. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God. That's, that's the key phrase. That's, the, that's kind of the window that gives us a little bit of light how we can do this. Mindful of God. So as you're doing good, you're being kind, you're showing love, you're showing up early, you're working hard, you're staying late, you're caring for people, you're only met with criticism, you're only met with shame, you're only met with ridicule and hatred. And when the retaliation urges rise up, you do not defend yourself, you fix your mind on God. But what do you fix your mind on? What's the content? What is, what's the picture that's in my head? Verses 21 to 23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You fix your mind on Jesus as the example for your suffering. You're not focusing on what Jesus' suffering accomplished you're focusing on the way in which he went about it. So when he said it is finished, your sins were paid for in full. But how did he get there? That's what you're fixing your mind on. In fact, this little phrase, leaving you, it's, it's, this, it's this idea of bequeath. When someone leaves and they leave behind something treasured to you, something important to you. It's as if when Jesus died, resurrected, and went back to his father, he left. The image I had in my mind this week was he left a playbook. He left the team, and he left behind his secret playbook. And he says, when you are called to endure unjust shame and suffering, here's the playbook about which how you do it. And in fact, this little phrase example here, Leaving you an example. That's just, that word example is the same word that is used for when little boys and girls in the Roman society would trace letters of the alphabet. I learned this in, in the commentary. They trace letters in the alphabet. And the commentator says, just as the little kids trace the letters to learn the alphabet, so we trace the letters of the gospel into our very identity. It's as if the Spirit of God, as it were, etches the letters of the gospel into our very identity and then we walk by faith. So he, left, he leaves behind this playbook, right? You fix your mind on what's in the playbook. What's there? What's in it? So let's open it up. Verses 21, 22 to 23 is the playbook opened up. Here's what you see in the playbook. This is what you're fixing your mind on. As Jesus was going through the passion narrative from beginning to end, when he was betrayed by Judas to the moment when he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Throughout that whole process, Verse 22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
we think that the stuff that we have to endure is unjust. Jesus never sinned. When the Son of God suffered, it was the definition of injustice. To rip the beard out of the face of the Son of God is the definition of what is not fair, what is not right. And yet, he never sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have got some sin. We have got some shame. Jesus didn't deserve any of it. Not a single drop of injustice deserved to fall upon the head and the crown of Jesus Christ. So not only that, he never retaliated. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He did not say, if you ever talk to me like that again. We use that phrase all the time. Don't you ever look at me like that again. Jesus didn't talk like that. He never threatened. If you read the Passion narrative, in fact, this is homework. Go home and go through all the Gospels and just read the Passion and see how Jesus responded. He spoke at times, but every time he spoke, he spoke with honesty, he spoke with truth, he spoke with grace, he spoke with kindness. He never sinned with his mouth. So as the poisonous arrows and darts of shame and mockery and humiliation, no human being has ever been humiliated like Jesus Christ. Being pinned to a cross naked, being beat, spit upon, mocked, the entire city of Jerusalem was against him like a giant horde. Shame is essentially the feeling that you are totally unworthy, totally unlovable, totally undesired, and totally alone in it. And Jesus was alone. And yet, he endured it. How, did, how could Jesus do this? That's what you should be asking yourself. How was he able to do this? And I can imagine a smart aleck saying, well, he's the son of God. It's probably easy. Don't do that. He was truly human. He was truly God, but he was truly human. And while he was on earth, he did not avail himself. He did not become less God. He maintained his full divinity, but he did not avail himself of his divine qualities. He was a true human. He knows what that felt like, and he was able to endure how? The most important phrase in how to endure unjust shame and suffering is right here. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How was Jesus able to endure this? All the injustice, all the shame, all the mockery as the, as the spitting and saliva came at his face and landed on him and people were reviling him with such penetrating criticisms to his soul. How, it does not say he entrusted those fools to his father to deal with them. It says he entrusted himself. That's interesting. He did not entrust the people. He took himself and he entrusted himself to his father. And he said, I'm not going to protect myself. 
I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to try to vindicate myself. I'm going to put that in your hands and let you deal with it. That's how Jesus was able to do it. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, before the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. You know what despising means? It means he just disregarded it. It was as it was empty talk to him because it couldn't get to him. Because his father had him. If your ego is not here, but is there, you can touch my body, but you cannot touch me. Because Jesus Christ has me. And he continued to do it. It wasn't a one-time thing. Over and over. Every time the impulse came, every time the, the, the rise came, every time the urge came, he continued entrusting himself to his father. This is how you do it. Number three, the main roadblock to this calling is the fear of your egos being wounded. The way to overcome this roadblock is not by shielding your ego, but by surrendering your ego to Jesus. That's how you do it. Now I realize the thought of doing this, thought of going through this life as a Christian, totally unguarded, without defending yourself, putting yourself fully out there is absolutely terrifying, especially for some of you. This is immediately practical for some of you tomorrow. But here's what I thought. This blessed me. Maybe someone else has said it, but I, th I thought I came up with it. But if someone else said it, you can let me know. Fear is not the enemy of courage. Fear is the stepping stone of courage. Fear is not the opposite of courage. It is the platform and the stage upon which courage, Christian courage, can perform in the spotlight to glorify Jesus Christ. Every time you feel the urge of freedom, to, excuse me, of fear to run away and to cower away and to guard and to shield, God just set a stage for you to glorify Jesus in courage. So here's the thing that you do. Every single day, you hand yourself over to Jesus. You hand yourself over to him. You entrust yourself to him. Put these little gems in your pocket. Colossians 3, 2 through 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I want you to focus on this little phrase right here. Your life is hidden with Christ. You put that in your pocket. And you realize every time the unjust shame and suffering comes, you realize that your ego, your sense of identity, your sense of who you are in Christ is not here. It's hidden with Christ. It's elsewhere. And so you can willingly, gladly take the blows. We just sang about this one. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified. That old, retaliating, self-defending, 
self-vindicating, guarded, shielded person, always feeling the need to guard my ego and protect myself and, and have a witty comeback, that person died. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ is living through me. And Jesus, last time I checked, can take a blow a lot better than I can. So I let Jesus be my shield. Let Jesus be my fortress. Let Jesus be my protection. And I drop it. Every time you give in to the fear of having to guard yourself, be guarded, have boundaries, every time you feel those urge and you give in to it, you are saying to Jesus, I do not trust you with me. I trust me with me. You believe the lie that the only person who could protect your sense of identity better than anyone else is you. You believe that lie. So you do not shield your ego. You surrender it to Jesus. And you say, Jesus, I trust you with me. You believe. You believe the truth. Because here's the thing. He may vindicate you in this life, but he may not. That's the hard part. You do not surrender yourself to Jesus in this call, expecting him to vindicate you in the list life now. It may not come. It may not come. It may never come. But there is coming a day when justice is coming. He is infinite in justice. He will vindicate all wrongs. He will put to right all injustice that has been done to you and all of his children. And you will be thankful that you did not try to do it yourself, but handed it over to him. Here's something really, really practical. Because the, the situation that I just gave you about the vindication never coming, but it never actually coming through, It's going to be really hard. So here's something that I do. I've been kind of sharing this, this with some people. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a job. Maybe, I don't know. Whatever you're thinking about. We all got it. Don't be thinking about someone else right now. This is, this is a sermon to you and me. Think about yourself right now. Whoever it is, whatever it is, you literally cuff your hands like this every morning, and you hand it over to Jesus. I, I, I do this. I will literally make a cup, and I will say, Jesus, I give this to you. And you have to continue to do that, because here's the reality. Is this, is this not working? Is this working okay? Can you guys hear me okay? Okay, good. All right. Here's the reality. The reason why you have to do this every single day is because here's the temptation for some of us. We hand it over, and we kind of do one of these. Right, we try to take it back. And we have to do it every single day because by the end of the day, most of us have taken it right back out of Jesus' hands. And we're ruminating on it, we're dwelling on it, thinking about it. Every morning, you get up and you take that thing and you mean it. Don't just go through the motions. Mean it. And I, I promise you, if you really actually mean it, you, you're going to be, I'm just going to turn this off.
Okay. So the main, the way to overcome this roadblock, hindering you from obeying the call to endure unjust shame and suffering and to surrender your ego to Jesus. So you, you fix your mind, right, mindful of God. You fix your minds on Jesus as the example for your suffering. But not only that. You don't just fix your mind upon Jesus as the example for your suffering, also the expiation for your sins. You fix your mind on Jesus as the example for your suffering, and number two, the expiation for your sins. If you look at this last phrase, verse 24 to 25, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The reason why you can trust Jesus with your soul, with yourself, with your ego, with your identity, the reason why you can trust him, the reason why you can endure unjust shame and suffering, get this, because he endured your just shame and suffering. You see, we got, we got sins. We got sin that deserves to be shamed by God. We got sins that separate us from God. And the reason why you can endure the unjust shame and suffering is because Jesus bore your just shame and suffering. He took away the sins that merit condemnation. And he, that's what, if you're wondering what expiation means, that's all it means. Just took it away. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Another way of saying cross. Cross is wood made out of tree. And he did this that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I believe the context, because it's immediately talking about not retaliating, it's dying to the sin of impulsive retaliation. That person dies. And you live to righteousness. You live by faith in the call that God has for you. His wounds have healed you. The just shame and suffering for your sins that you deserve. Jesus took those wounds. And he healed you, your relationship with God. And because he did this, because he did this, we can hand ourselves over to him. And he becomes the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It doesn't say of your body, of your souls. I want to and with just a few questions that I wrote down. Where are you not entrusting yourself to Jesus? Where are you holding on to your sense of self-respect too tightly? Where are you holding on to your ego too tightly? Where is your ego getting in the way? And you're refusing to give it to Jesus. Where are you running in fear? Where are you letting the fear dominate you and not serve as the stepping stone for courage, the platform upon which Christ through you can magnify himself in you? How are you unnecessarily expending useless energy shielding yourself from shame rather than surrendering yourself to Jesus? 
Here's a tough one. To whom or to what does Jesus want you to step out in courage totally unguarded? Put the shields down. Put them down. If if your ego and your identity is in Christ, what are you afraid of? That you lose something in this life? This life is a vapor. (laughs) I mean, come on now. Totally unguarded. What's Jesus calling to be totally unguarded? Because some of you, right, you're exhausted because you're constantly doing this. You're constantly guarding yourself, constantly doing the judo, jujitsu thing with yourself. And it's exhausting. The more you do that, the less you're going to see the power of the gospel work in and through you. Here's what I thought of. Where are you using boundaries as an excuse to not be vulnerable about who you are in Christ? There's a lot of boundaries talk. I'm not, I got nothing against boundaries. I understand you should have boundaries. But a lot of times I think we're, we're a, a bit over-obsessed in American culture. What is a boundary? It's a shield. It's a guard. I realize you should have it in some place, but some of us overuse it as an excuse not to be vulnerable and demonstrate your confidence that Jesus has you. Lastly, maybe you're here and you have never surrendered yourself to Jesus. If I were to ask you, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you surrendered yourself to Jesus? You would say no. I was talking with someone the other day. I asked him that very question. I said no. If you're here and that's you, I am pleading with you. Do it today. What are you waiting for? What's your excuse? What is your excuse? You're going to be carrying around your ego, and you're constantly going to be guarding it. And I know some people say, "Ah, I checked mine at the door. What door? Where are you putting it? Like, where are you putting it? Where are you putting this ego of yours? Like, show me. Like, point to the spot. Oh, I just, I don't know. It's it's a metaphor. Okay. Like, you got to hold on to it. You got nowhere else to put it. So you're constantly going to be shielding it and guarding it. And it's exhausting. And I'm telling you, it's a lot safer and a lot more courage building and a lot more liberating to stop to lay your arms down and hand it over to Jesus. Second question to you is what are you going to do with your sin and your shame? When you, when you stand before a holy God and you still got your sin and your shame in your hands, that's a tough spot to be in. And there's one person who will take it. And it's Jesus. And I'm asking you today, I'm pleading with you today, if you were here and you're not a Christian, to surrender yourself to Jesus today. To literally say in your heart, right now, if you're here and you're a Christian, pray right now. Pray right now as I'm talking for these people. If you're here right now, and say in your heart, Jesus, I have trusted myself far too long with myself. And I'm sorry and I trust myself with you. If you did that, your soul will be kept forever. You will be secure in the arms of Christ. You'll be preserved for all eternity with Jesus, and you can partake in the Lord's Supper today. We're about to take the Lord's Supper, and as you take the crackers and the juice, you are not consuming forgiveness. You're not consuming righteousness. You're not consuming 
some substance that makes you more acceptable in the sight of God. When you believe in Jesus, his full forgiveness is given. His full righteousness is yours. And you have only to boast and to walk freely in that. So when we take of the crackers and the juice, you are experientially consuming what Jesus has already accomplished for you. It's as a a deeply mysterious reminder and bolstering to your faith and your soul. And if you're here not a Christian, and I would just say to you that as you're coming, maybe it's as you've got a person, a thing, a situation, a thing you're dealing with, and you're frankly, you're holding on to your ego too tightly. As you're t- coming to the table you are, and you consume the cracks and the juice, you, you're saying, Jesus did this for me. And I'm going to surrender this thing to you. Let this be a reminder of how Jesus endured that for you. So I'm going to pray. And after I pray, maybe take a moment for self-reflection. And whenever you are ready, you may come to the table. Father, I thank you for Jesus, such a wonderful Savior, the example for our suffering and the expiation for our sins. And when we fix our minds on that, we can endure very hard things. We fix our minds there. We can endure whatever you call us to. I pray for those who have to go into very tough difficult, hard situations tomorrow at work or whatever it is that you would fix their minds upon Jesus. They would hold tightly to that and you would in some amazing way just show up in a big way and give them the courage they need to walk faithfully. Pray for anyone who surrounded themselves to Jesus today that they would find someone else, find a pastor, find another Christian and tell them what they did. To pray for them and encourage them. Free your hearts to worship you for the rest of the service now. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.